0: So we were talking last week from the book of Haggai, and uh, we were reading in chapter one about this incredible prophetic challenge that he gave to the people of Israel to put aside their distractions, put aside the pain and the intimidation of the past, and refocus their attention on building God's house. As we were finishing off last week, I said, well, I want to talk about what it means to build God's house. And so that's what we're going to look at God's house is literally the place where God lives. Okay, so we're going to talk about God's house and of course in the New Testament God's house the place where God lives is the church. Did you know that? Did you know that the dwelling place of God is here? So that when we come to a meeting we don't just come to meet with one another, we come to meet with God. Isn't that amazing? And I I have that expectation that as we come together that we will encounter, literally bump into God as he's amongst us because we're the church and we're the dwelling place of God. So today I want to talk about church and I want to talk about how church is a family, not an organization. And, you know, I want us to fall in love with the church all over again. You know, I want us to get misty eyed. And lovesick for the church. I was reading the Psalms this week. And there's a Psalm that goes. I love the place where you live God. I love the place. I love the church. And so I'm going to get a little bit excited and passionate. Because I really love the church. It's his body. It's the body of Christ here on earth. And it's his family. Actually it's all about family. Church is a family, a family where God is our father, and we are his sons and daughters, and the worldwide church is your family, I don't know if you've ever found that, you can travel anywhere in the world, and you can meet other believers, and you kind of recognize them, you kind of bump into them, you think, I'm sure they're a believer, have you ever had that conversation, I'm sure they're a Christian, and then you get into a conversation, you find sure enough, the family likeness is there, it's the family of God. We're part of a worldwide intergalactic family. Uh, so take a look around because, you see, here in this room is some of your family. Okay, just take a look around. These, these are family members. These are your brothers and sisters. Now, remember the old saying says, you, can't, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose... <laughs> your family but the thing is we're not just a random group of people meeting here today this is a family reunion this is a family reunion of the people of God so it's just great to take some time to talk to some of the young people just encourage them because we're a family and that's what we want to do together as family so God sent his son that's why because this was a family calling he sent his son For the church. (laughs) So the son of God didn't come all the way from heaven to suffer and to die. To lay down his life, to be raised again, to start a business. He didn't come to start a business. Church isn't a business. It's not about making money. It's not about promoting different personalities. And he didn't come to make us his employees. He came To give us the right to be called sons and daughters. And so we were made a part of this family. Not because we've worked our way up and got hired. We're born into it. which And the good news about that is you can't get fired either when you mess up. Because nothing can change the fact that you're family. You're stuck with us. We're stuck together. It's in our spiritual DNA. And you see, church isn't for the professionals. It's not just the professional people, because we're called children of God. And how many people know the simplicity of children? You know, And I just wonder at how sophisticated some have become in doing church, how slick and how polished. And this is fine, you know, but I wonder if in a fractured world such as ours, the next move of God won't be about just the simplicity of family, just being A family. See, church is a family home. It's not a restaurant. I mean, you know, when you go to a restaurant, you want a good service, don't you? You want a good service. You want a great atmosphere. You want great music. You want all your needs attended to and good value for money. And if it doesn't match up, well, you call the manager and you make a complaint. Yeah. Or perhaps you just never go again. A church isn't a restaurant. Church isn't for consumers, it's God's household. That's what Paul calls it in 1 Timothy 3, 3 14, Literally meaning, it's his family home. The church is his family home. And we're all invited to play our part in the service of one another and of the king to be waiters in his courts. So you can be a consumer of the church, or you can be a part of the family. We're a family. And you know, in our family, we all take turns, don't we, Alison? We're, we're, we're all meant to help around the place. You know, somebody will cook, another clears up, and someone does the washing, another will do the ironing. Someone turns up the th- th- thermostat, and I turn it down. <laughs> You know, we all play our part and we're all needed for this family to work. It's the same in the church. We all need to play our part serving one another, being a part of one another's lives. Because we're a family. It's not just about the professionals. And you know, church is not even a building. You know, there's some really great buildings around. Last year we were in Italy and I saw one of the most beautiful church buildings I've ever seen. I've got a picture of it for you. That doesn't do it justice. This is called Santa Maria Droma. Come on. (laughs) And this is in Florence, Italy. And, you know, you stand outside the building and you just have this incredible sense of awe, the dazzling artistry, the colours of the windows when the light shines on. It's mind-blowing. It's so lovely. It's so beautiful, so awe-inspiring. But it's not God's house. He doesn't live there. Because the Bible says he doesn't live in buildings anymore unless it's a building made of people. Because the church is his body, a people for God's own possession, 1 Peter 2, 9. See, God lives with a people that belong to him and they are his family. And you know, church, it's not even about the meetings It's not even about the meetings. You don't have to go and see your family to be related, do you? It's a bit sad if you don't go and see them, if you don't want anything to do with them. But it doesn't change anything. It is just sad. It's not about the meetings. It's about a relationship with a loving, heavenly Father. And you know when you know that, love, you just want to be around him. You want to be where he is. And where is he? Oh, God's with his people. That's where he lives. So why wouldn't you want to be with his people? Family, family, family. That's what it's all about. It's always been about the family. Family. It started with a family who were told to go and fill all the earth with family. There was this great promise that came through Abraham to a family that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We're part of that family, by the way, part of the blessed It was through the lineage of one royal family that Jesus would eventually be born. You know, the language of family runs throughout the whole of the New Testament, especially when it comes to the people of God. It starts with Jesus, who on one particular occasion distinguished between his natural family and his spiritual family when he turns to his disciples and says, Here, my brother, my mother, and my sisters because for whoever whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother sister and ma- ma- mother mama my ma- mother Matthew chapter 12 verses 48 to 50 and then throughout the book of acts the familial connections are obvious you know after paul and silas had come out of prison they went to lydia's house and they met with their brothers and sisters and then they left after his, their brothers and sisters encouraged them, what a wonderful place to go after you 've been in prison and you 've been beaten and discouraged and disheartened. Some of us feel like that sometimes. As we were saying last week, those are not the times to withdraw. Those are the times to come close because that 's what families are about. And then Paul, writing to Timothy, instructs him in how to pe- treat people in the church. He says, Don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity, and so on. The Bible is full of these references in the New Testament. And so so we are family. And you see, the church is made up of fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, all of different ages and stages, shapes and sizes, characters and personalities. Yes, we've got those too. We're not colleagues. We're not associates. We're not even volunteers. We are a family. And this understanding has to go to the root of all that we know about church and all that we do together. And I am absolutely convinced that church as family has got to affect how we do church. It's got to change the whole feel of how we do church. It affects how we care for one another. Simon and Becky Clay are going to speak to us about that next week. They're going to do a double act. Isn't that exciting? Uh, And then the week after, uh, Paul is going to talk about how we add to that family. Paul Norris. It affects also how the church is led, and that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. I want to talk about leadership in the church. Because there's no doubt about it, uh, leadership in the church is important, because although church isn't an organisation, neither is it a disorganisation. You know, I've been to churches like that. (laughs) You don't get very far. You don't know who's going to preach or who's going to do what. Church is not a disorganisation. I mean, it's just like any other family. Can you imagine what would happen if nothing in your family was ever planned? Nothing was ever organized. There'd be no food in the cupboards. There'd be no meals on the table. There'd be no washing done and so on. You know, families have to be led and fed, organized and grown up if we are to thrive and ultimately reproduce. So leadership is needed. But what kind of leadership? Well, it's fathers and mothers who lead families. Fathers and mothers. And we see this in Paul's fathering model. And this is the great apostle who planted more churches than we've had hot dinners and traveled most of the known world at his time and then wrote the Bible in his spare time. And he chose this as his model of leadership, fathering. And so he writes to the Corinthian church on one occasion. They're getting a bit confused about his role in their lives. And he says this, he says in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Because even if you had 10,000 teachers in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Imitate how I do this. Imitate it. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? With Paul's background, his religious training, he could have chosen that as a kind of a model uh, of leadership. You know, obey the rules. Do what you're told. Jesus commented on that style of leadership, obviously, in chapter 11 of Luke, and says that these things weighed people down with burdens they could hardly carry. Paul didn't choose that model of leadership. Neither did it come from the secular world. So, Jesus, on one occasion in Matthew chapter 20, talked about the Gentile leaders, how they would lord it over people. Now, Paul modeled his apostleship on the family because, why? Why? Because he knew he was a son. Because he knew he was a son. And then he said, Imitate me. Imitate me as I do what I see the Father doing. And I think. Thinking of leaders as spiritual fathers helps us to think about leadership in the church. Because, you know, leaders lead and tell people what to do by definition. You know, if you're using a leadership mindset, then you have to have all the answers before anybody asks you any questions. It's all about position. It's all about task. And that leads to insecure leaders, actually, because they're constantly protecting their position. It's all about getting the job done. But when I view church as a family and my leadership model is that of a father, then I'm motivated and function completely differently. So rather than dominate, I want to see others released. Rather than feel threatened, I want to see people flourish. Rather than control, I want to encourage and guide. You see, leaders who parent grow sons and daughters who will themselves become fathers and mothers. That's what we want to see. And this creates an atmosphere where everyone flourishes and reaches their full potential in God. That's our job. I think that's our job, to work ourselves out of a job and hand things on to future generations. Do you agree? You know, I want to touch on spiritual mothers in a minute because they're really great too. Uh, But first, I just want to, Pause for a moment. I want to acknowledge something, um, because in all that I've said, this may not have been your experience of spiritual fathers. And your experience of church, as we were talking about last week, hasn't always been positive. And, do you know, that's just because, like in earthly families, there are some dysfunctional Church families, too, that become divided and become damaging, autocratic, and so on. That isn't a model that's in the Bible. And so I want to just take a moment to, I don't know how to say the right verb for this, but I want to do a prophetic action. I think that that's the right way of saying it. Uh, Because I know that there are those that have been hurt by those that say that they are fathers. So what I want to do is this prophetic action, which I think, I believe it's going to release... Or begin to release some of you from that pain and bring healing into your life. And this is what I want to do. First of all, as a father in this house, and as a kind of representative leader, I want to say to anyone who may have been hurt, damaged, or abused by a leader, that I am genuinely sorry. I am genuinely sorry for the hurt that you've experienced or for the damage that you've sustained at the hands of any leader. Because I want to say that this, this is not right. It should never have happened. It was wrong. All right. And you were right to say that they should have protected you, <laughs> protected you and your family. They should have honored you and they should have given you a safe place to grow. And it doesn't matter what kind of leader we're talking about, it could be in your family. Your natural family, it could be parents, it it could be teachers, it could be bosses at work, it could have been other church leaders, and you may never hear this from his or her lips, but I want to ask you to take this apology prophetically as if it's from them anyway. Because I believe that that kind of thing can happen in the spirit, okay? You know how often national leaders will stand up and apologize on behalf of a nation, And that seemed to be a good thing. That's the kind of feeling I get from this. I want to say sorry to you genuinely as a leader. It should never have happened to you. So take this apology as if it were from them. Because God knows, you know. And he will judge. Okay, he will judge. That's the first thing. Now I want to ask you to do something brave. I'm not going to embarrass you or get you to stand up or anything like that. But I want to ask you to decide today to let go of your hurt and choose to forgive. It's the only way. It's the only way forward to forgive and to receive healing. It's the only way. There isn't any other way. And that's really hard to do. And it doesn't just happen like that. It starts with a step of faith where you choose to forgive. But my, my own experience is I have to do it many times <laughs> for the same thing. Okay? But choose to forgive. Start with that today. And he can help you to do this. And he will restore you. And he will help you to honor and to trust again. All right? So, my wife wants to say something. Come up here, Alison. No, I was actually agreeing with you, but actually I would love to just underline that because, as you know, um, a number of years ago we went through an incredibly difficult experience as a church um, and it was personally um, excruciating. But in that moment, we knew we had a decision to make and we had to decide, even in that moment, to forgive because if you don't, you carry that pain with you and that pain becomes unforgiveness, that unforgiveness becomes bitterness and it's unresolved and it eats away at you. So it is a no-brainer, as Rob's saying. So I just wanted to highlight that. As painful as it is to choose to forgive, God will give you the grace and he'll give you the ability to forgive and to forgive again and to forgive again. Yeah. It's amazing, the power of forgiveness. What Alison says is completely right. And you do it in faith, and you do it prophetically. You can't even see the person, but you do it anyway. And uh, it was a number of years later, I met one of the people that hurt me so much. I met them just randomly. It's the kind of thing you dread, that you bump into somebody. Met them randomly on the street. And I always wondered what my reaction was going to be. Because if the pain hadn't been healed, I don't know what I would have done. And I was amazed that my honestly genuine reaction was to throw my arms around them and give them a hug. That is a miracle. Honestly, that is a complete miracle. So we want to just encourage you to, to work through that. Take a step today. So why don't you just do that right now. Why don't Let's just pause for a moment. Just think about what we're saying here. We won't move on for a moment. Just... Close your eyes. Maybe just think of that person or those people. If there are many people, it might take you a while, but I'm just going to give you a few moments. Think of those people. Just visualize them and say in your heart, Holy Spirit, I choose from this moment on to forgive them. I choose to forgive you. Use their name. And I trust you, Holy Spirit, to lead me through all that this means for me. Thank you, Lord. One of the amazing stories about forgiveness was Corrie Ten Boom. If you've read her story, she was speaking at a meeting. And at the back of the meeting, she saw one of her persecutors who'd actually been responsible for the death of her sister in a concentration camp. And the habit of the church at the time was the pastor would stand at the back or the speaker and shake the hand of everybody as they left the door. I, I can do that later if you like. And uh, she said, God, I cannot ever shake that man's hand. I can't do it. And the Holy Spirit said, as quick as a flash, You provide the hand, I'll provide the feeling. It's true. Step of faith. You provide the hand. Be willing to forgive. He will provide the feeling. That's my testimony. Praise God. But you know, it's not just about fathers in the church. Genuinely. I also want to mention mothers. Otherwise, we are just advocating a single parent family model in the church. And I don't think that's what God wants for us. I think we need both. I think we need both. I think we need powerful, liberated, confident women at Jubilee. Women who know who they are in God and are fearless in doing all that he says for them to do. I know because I'm married to one of them. We need powerful, God-passionate women raised up and released and doing all that God has called them to do. Amen? We've got some already, but there's so many more that I believe God wants to release amongst us. And I've already mentioned about Jesus' recognition of spiritual mothers amongst his disciples. He pointed and he said, look, there's my mother, my brothers and my sisters. Actually, there were many women around Jesus who were part of the team. And hey, who did he appear to first when he rose from the dead? It was the women. I'm convinced it's because otherwise, as I've said before, the men would have done a man look and missed it. But <laughs> there you go. But he appeared to the women to make sure that everybody saw him. I think that's what it was. But I think it was also an incredible honor that Jesus wanted to make the point. I'm appearing to the women first and they wouldn't even accept the women's testimony because it wasn't valid in a court of law but jesus did it anyway okay i love that and so paul also acknowledges the role of mothers and their powerful influence in the lives of others so for example timothy who is his apostolic delegate he says in 2 timothy 1 5 he says i remember your genuine faith because it lived first of all in your grandmother (laughs) she was called Lois, I know her, and your mother Eunice, what an amazing lady, and I know it's the same faith they had that is now been reproduced in you because they were spiritual mothers as well as natural mothers to you. And, and also he goes on in Romans to say how he personally benefited from spiritual mothers in the church. Romans 16, 13 says, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. That's the great apostle. And, you know, I want to say that um, I have also benefited greatly from spiritual mothers in the church. And you're going to meet one of them in a few weeks' time when Angela comes and ministers to us at our weekend away. She is definitely a spiritual mother, an apostolic mother. I mean, how should I describe the influence that she has been in my life? Well, I don't know. She has said some things to me and challenged me in a way that no man would ever get away with. Let me just say that. So watch out for that. But she has said something. She's challenged. She's got under my skin like nobody else. Uh, she's made me believe in myself, despite myself. She has done that. She has stretched me. She's stretched my faith in ways that I've not been stretched before. And then if all else fails, she just says, go for it. And you'll hear that phrase a number of times, I think, over the weekend. That's what she says. Go for it. And that's the apostolic command. So you better do it because she'll check up and make sure that you did. So we need mothers. We need mothers as well as fathers in the church. And, you know, I'd find it hard to define exactly what mothers bring that's different to fathers. But it is different. And I know that we need both. This is the biblical model, mothers and fathers raising powerful sons and daughters who will then grow themselves to be mothers and fathers. You've got a problem if the mothers and fathers try to keep everybody as infants. Those are not mothers and fathers, the ones who say, look, I know best. You do what I say. Those are not spiritual mothers and fathers. Spiritual mothers and fathers want to see their children grow up, leave home, plant churches, change the world, and be powerful in who they are called to be. And I tried really hard this week. I really wrestled with, and I even texted loads of amazing women that I know, how would you define a spiritual mother? What attributes do they have? And I found it almost impossible to do this, to, to come up with any kind of list or definition without resorting to stereotype. Um, I recently watched a phenomenal talk by a lady called Jen Wilkins, uh, who I totally recommend this talk. I found it fascinating. She did a great job talking about how women differed from men. Uh, we, it was amazing. But I found myself getting wound up when she started talking about women who are sensitive and nurturing and men who are outdoorsy types, because I'm definitely more of the nurturer than the outdoorsy type, despite the checks. Um, (laughs) And despite what I'd like people to think, I mean, just ask my family, I am probably the soppiest man that's ever lived. I cry at just about anything these days. Uh, So I'm not going to resort to stereotyping either. But let me just say this. You can spot a spiritual mother or father by the effect they have on you. You'll find that there's air to breathe around them, they don't stifle you. You'll feel built up by them, released by them. You will find courage by being around them. You'll feel safe, but you'll also feel like you can go and conquer the world. (laughs) That's what spiritual mothers and fathers do for us. Also, because this is not a thorough discussion, this is just I want to get you thinking about some of these things, but please note that your spiritual mother or father may not be the same as somebody else's. You know, there are as many spiritual parents in the world, I believe, as there are children of God. I know Paul says there aren't many but he was talking about the church in Corinth. That was not a general statement. I believe that there are many fathers and mothers in the church. I think God has given us that because we're family. And we need them. We need them in our lives and in the church. And, and finally, on this subject, let me pass on another thought to you, which again... Uh, isn't fully thought through. I actually just want to drop a bomb and run today, you see. um, And actually, it's not completely original to me, but it has really impacted me. Uh, I'm on a a bit of a journey on this whole thing. Uh, God spoke to me about three years ago, and he said to me a really strong word. He says, enough single-parent-led families in the church. And really challenged me about what we were doing to develop women. And uh, so I'm, I'm on that journey and I'm working on it. Okay, so help me. Um, but this came from Wendy Mann, another powerful woman, uh, a mother in the church. She said recently at a meeting in, in Bedford, it's not just fathers growing fathers and mothers growing mothers that we need in the church. She said, sons need mothers as well, as fathers and daughters need fathers as well as mothers. Did you follow that? We need both. Both, All of us do. And I think, you know, uh, in the church, historically, we've been quite good as fathers of developing sons. But we've kind of kept away from the ladies a bit for all very good reasons. And when God spoke this word to me, I brought that up with him. And he said, get over yourself. That's your baggage. Sort yourself out. You get in there and start to help and develop women. Just being honest. And, you know, when she said those words, it it really resonated with me. And I I knew what she meant because, you see, I'm a dad and I've got a son and I've got a daughter and they both need different things from me to what they need from Allison. It's healthy. And it's the input of both that gives them the balance that they need, and it's the same in the church. Guys, it's not the same in the world. I did a search on Google, who knows everything, and could I find a single piece of evidence these days that says that families need mothers and fathers. It's too controversial. I'm sorry, but they're lying. (coughs) Just saying. We need the input of both because that gives the balance that we need, and it's the same in the church. But for various reasons, I don't think historically in the church we've done very well at this. But godly fathers are needed to help raise spiritual daughters and godly mothers are needed to raise spiritual sons. We have to do this. It's all part of being family. Okay? There you go. Those are my bombs. I'll go now. (laughs) But I just want to leave you with a a risky question or two. Okay, so here we go. Um, Here's the first. Church is a family. So is Jubilee your family? That's risky because you might say, oh, no, it isn't actually. I think I'll go to another one. I'll go down the road. So, yeah, I'll just leave that with you. But, look, yeah, thanks, Andrew. <laughs> just such a son of encouragement there. Um, but you know, no more on the front row. That's it. You're back to the back. <laughs> um, but, you know, if Jubilee is your family, get stuck in. Like we were saying last week, get stuck in with building this church and making yourself a part of of this place you know it, it, if it is your church then come and make yourself at home you know, put your feet up take your shoes off clean up a bit around the place you know um, get to know people commit to people invite them around to your house go and see them be family together invite them when you're celebrating something that's what families do learn how to serve well in this house You know, there are plenty of opportunities. And, you know, as we grow, you won't know everyone. But make sure you get to know someone and learn from them. So that's the first thing. Is this the place where you can thrive and feel at home? We want it to be. But it often comes from finding spiritual mothers and fathers who release and believe in you. And ask God to show you who they are because... They're not always the leaders. Now, we can get this obsession, oh, it's got to be, I've got to see the leaders. It's just not true, because we can't be all things to all people. And we don't have to be either. I think our job is to make sure it happens, not to do it all. really believe that. And finally, for some of you, here's the last awkward thing to just lob at you. Um, I think it's time for some of you to step up. And own your place in the church as a spiritual mother or father. You know, some of you, you see, it's easy to say us, isn't it? You know, Safety in numbers and all that. No, I want to say this. This is what the Holy Spirit told me to say, so I'm trying to obey him here. Some of you are too comfortable as sons and daughters. And it's time for you to take responsibility as a father or mother in the church. Um. Who is it that you're called to be? Who is it you're meant to be cheerleading for? Who is it you're meant to be inputting? Whose life are you meant to change? We're the church of changed lives. That's what we call ourselves. But it involves all of us being a part of the family of God and raising spiritual sons and daughters. So who is God putting in your way? Amen.